Welcome to the Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have an absolute legend of a guest. It is Anwar Gilbert. We're going to be learning all about his story, traveling to Mexico. He's from the UK. And what is he actually doing over at Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA in Thailand? We're able to talk about it. Correct. Okay, uh, let's just jump into this. We're in Phuket, Thailand. We are a lifestyle mushroom podcast, whatever the... That means um, we're doing mushroom supplements. We got lion's mane, chaga, reishi, nootropics focus. Actually, we just took a big stack and we got some coffee. So let us know in the comments if you feel we're dialed in or we're just rambling and we're completely off our rockers today. Do not forget to like, subscribe, hit that bell, and let's get this podcast started. Without further ado, Anwar. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Nice, nice to you. see you. Are you you're comfy there? Water's there? I'm pretty good, and we'll set up good. well. I'm My coffee for these mushrooms to kick yeah, in. Yeah, maybe we, should we take a 20 minute break? Yeah, that's it. I guess all mushrooms take a bit to kick in. Yeah, we'll see the difference from the beginning <laughs> to the end. Let's see if we get a little bit more dialed in. Yeah. Um, as we explained before the podcast, oh, this is a lifestyle podcast, so we're going to keep it basic. Start off, Anwar, tell us a little bit where you're from and what brought you to Thailand. I'm from London, UK originally. I, I came to Thailand originally, I think I was about 17 or 18, I came for vacation. Um, went to Koh Samui, Koh Tao, Koh Panyang. Didn't come to Phuket for maybe another 10 years after. And I'd heard about Tiger Street from a friend who I was working with. It sounded pretty cool. So my next trip to Asia, I popped down to uh, Soy, and then pretty much made my next trip that I took. Then I came here on vacation. And I think I came three or four times. Over, I, I can't remember my first, I started working at Tiger I think it was 2016. So then I came to Tiger two years before that. And you were coming to Tiger for work or more travel and leisure? Initially, it was a bit of training. And then I had a couple of clients that I was training with that wanted to work toward more towards martial arts. So even though I, I do a little bit of martial arts, it's not my, I'm, I'm, I'm more on the personal training side of it. It's more um, like a hobby. Here, one sec. Just tilt that up a bit. Uh, more like a tilt towards you. Yeah, that should be good. Yeah. Um, before we jump into the whole, like, we want the audience, you know, anticipate, uh, just wait for this whole story of how it came together. What are, the, mm. what are these people doing in Thailand? How did they get there? Okay. And, you know, where did that travel bug come from? Um, going back to Anwar in London, in the UK, can you talk a little bit about your childhood and what connected you to traveling the whole world? Um, I'm not sure. I, I left school around 15, 16 and started working. And I just pretty much didn't want to work in the UK. I think that was really it. I, I, I'd already traveled a little bit to Europe at that time, but um, my first big trip was actually to Thailand. And I'd spent a few years going around Europe before, but yeah, fuck, man, I kind of fucked that up a little bit. I actually yeah. don't know what the answer is to that. Yeah, no, I'm, so <laughs> you're, 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 you've left school. I think that, yeah. that's the interesting part. Okay. You're 16 years old. Mm. You're leaving. You're, you're just leaving high school. I mean, not... Not most 16-year-olds are doing this. Why did you leave high school at such a young age? I just didn't like school, man. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like school. I, I struggled at school a lot, actually. I, whether it's focus, and just having the ability to do the subjects or study the things I wanted to study rather than the things I had to study. And I get it, you're a kid and you kind of have to do the things. Um, but the first opportunity I had, I actually started college, like the next tier, but... I think it was two or three weeks in and I had my first assignment that I hadn't done. I was like, I'm not going to carry on doing this. 
So I just then started working. Um, what type of work were you doing? Like I took quite a few jobs. My first job was as a hospital porter, and I used to take either patients from the wards to x-ray and ultrasound, where I would take kind of dead bodies down from the ward down to the morgue. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, uh, that's, that's quite the first job. That huh? was quite the first job, yeah. So I did that for, I think, seven or eight months. Seven or eight months, and then I worked at Fulham Football Club, worked in the club shop, I worked as a baker, I, I did all of these jobs, I worked in the print shop for a year, I um, I did all these different jobs just to kind of initially just make money and survive, and then I always enjoyed, I always enjoyed doing sport, and I was doing athletics as a kid, um, I, I was I think at that time still I was doing, I was still participating in air cadets. I don't know, if you, it's it's almost like when you finish scouts, but it's, no. you have the, the army cadets, the air cadets, the navy cadets. So it's kind of, I think just child basic training all the way through, but it was cool. You got to fly airplanes, you got to do competitions for athletics. So I did this, I think until I was about 17 or 18 as well. And the more of the athletics I was doing, it was I, I met coaches, I met trainers, I met other people doing more than the kind of the expectation, which was to go to school, go to college, go to university, get a degree, and then go and get this job that you kind of do for 25, 30 years. Um, yeah, not falling in, into that mold. I think most people yeah. living, expats living in Thailand, um, growing up, we, you're told a certain way, and, and I don't think we are, most of us are like that, and we kind of broke the mold and, Luckily, we don't we don't fall you know homeless on the streets. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. definitely like, and, and that's a good way to, to you know coming to Asia. It's easy to you know transition into that. For sure, it's really affordable here. Like it's 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 at the place where like, you don't need a lot of money here. You can live a very luxury, <laughs> expensive life here, but at the same time, you can eat basic, live in a very modest home, and still still enjoy the qualities of going to the beach and being able to, if you want to go out for a beer at the weekend, you can kind of build that into a budget and, and enjoy. It's yeah, it's the, it's the freedom. It's yeah. the, the freedom here, I mean, I always say, is the West really free? I mean, yeah. I mean, nothing's free. you got to pay for your freedom. Even Canada, I mean, you're paying, yeah. for, you're paying 50% of your salary for health insurance and still sitting in a, an ER room for eight hours for maybe, you know, to, to get something basic. Um, but for yourself yeah. now, you you said you first came to Thailand when you were seventeen, mm -hmm. purely for for travel. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna piece that part of Anwar's life together. Okay. Um, you've left you've left uh, your studies mm -hmm. at, at a young age at sixteen. You've taken on some odd jobs mm -hmm. here and there. Yeah. Um, how old are you now? I'm forty. Right. So let's let's that gap between <laughs> you know finding yourself living and working abroad. Mm. Um. Where, where did you go next, like, after the UK, besides just Thailand and traveling? Were you working abroad in another country? What were you doing exactly? Yeah, I, um, I initially moved down from London down to the coast. I, I did an online personal training certification for a couple of hundred bucks, and it was terrible. But apparently I was a certified personal trainer. And then um, there's a company in the UK called David Lloyd, and they uh, at the time owned about 100 gyms, and they were tennis clubs, racket clubs. Um, they had gyms, pools, and they were gyms of five to 10,000. Oh. Big, big, like these, I don't even know what you describe it. The, 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 the gym I worked in in Eastbourne was, I think they had 27 courts. 
and 20 cent of tennis courts, eight squash courts from memory or four squash courts and maybe eight badminton courts. Massive, these big dome warehouses. And then they would have a big gym attached to that. These are like public or membership type of gym? Membership type yeah. gyms. They have public versions, but no way. I don't think they're near as big. So they, it's, it's a similar set, but these are, like, these are private memberships that are maybe 60, I can forget the price, but 60 to 100 dollars, or 600 pounds a month it was. And then um, I got a job in sales because I knew that the gym trained you to be a personal trainer. And they had a really good certification. Um, it was with NASM. The guys came from the States and they taught the certification. And the, the gym paid. So I worked in the sales department. I kind of shadowed the gym, and I did that for about a year and a half. Moved back to the back to London, and then I was there for about another year. And in that time, working for David Lloyd, they were a really cool company. They paid for my gym coach, my personal training certification. The gyms I'd worked at had received some awards, so I think we got gym of the year, and they took us on a trip to one of the gyms in in Spain. So we went on that, and then. They, they kind of gave me the exposure for travel throughout Europe. And that then I met a few clients and it kind of opened my, let's say, I got some work with clients with travel. And so I'd go for a weekend or go for a week or holidays and started, my job kind of took me on holiday. So you're, just to explain, now you're, you're, Primarily, you're, you're involved in like mobility training over at Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA. At this point in your career, it's more personal training yeah. or are you still focused on mobility at that point? It's hard because I teach a lot of stuff. I started as a personal trainer and I, I don't know, maybe people are calling themselves strength coaches nowadays. But in that same field, I would teach people how to exercise, let's say. And then that developed into... I think my first certification was a Pilates certification. And then I did a yoga teacher training and I did manual therapy. And this was all just to be a better personal trainer to kind of build that tool, tool belt. Yeah, exactly. And that was actually what, one of my first personal trainer that I taught with Pete, he, um, he literally said that at the end of our full training, he was like, I've, we've just given you a tool belt and now it's your job to actually fill it with every single tool and kind of what, you've got this really amazing platform to start with. If you want to work with fighters, you can come to Thailand and try and work that out. And you can, if you want to work with injured rehab clients, you can work with physios and sort of support them. And so I kind of did that over the years. Everywhere I traveled, I did a new certification in something. I worked with whichever local, um, how would I describe it? Like if, if I was doing yoga, my yoga teacher training, I then worked, I, my yoga classes at a yoga studio. I then became friends with the yoga teachers and then we would refer clients with each other. This would be, now, this would not all just be in the UK. You're referring, you'd be globally building this tool belt? Yeah. So yeah. for example, where did you first grab the, the your yoga skill set? That was actually in London. Okay. That was in London. But I did another yoga certification, um, I think maybe even 10 years later, and that was in LA. I, I've, I've actually tried to, do most of my trainings in the States and abroad because it's a good excuse to travel. You go and do this weekend or this one week course, you've already got a flight over and then you meet some people and you can hang out in the area for three or four weeks or three or four days, depending on where you're going. It's cool. And then you would bring that back to London, back yeah. to the UK and you 
continue working at this gym, but you're also doing privates and able to kind of, you're explaining that you're able to go with those clients and kind of be with them one-on-one. -on -one. Yes. Yeah. So I would, I, all of it was to kind of, so I think my first post personal training certification was, a. it, it was, it was a pre and postnatal. One of my first clients, I think my third client I got was pregnant. I've never had a pregnant client before. So, and I, I kind of seen her just before and then she had a gap and then she, she became pregnant. And then we, I didn't know what I wanted to do. She wanted to continue training. So I went and did a certification for four days, came back and she was very happy for me to, within safe parameters, work through. And that's kind of what all my clients have done. Whenever someone's had an issue, I've, if it's been within a field that I haven't been able to help with, or I've even referred them to a physio if they've been injured and it's not really helped or referred out, I've kind of then gone and did some research and gone a two day course or just been a good excuse to expand my skill set with kind of who's in front of me. So you had to specifically get training on, I guess, training with women that are pre or postnatal. Yeah. There's specific classes and a course for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you do pre, you can, now they've even separated even more. So there's just prenatal training and postnatal training and fields within that. But I've, I've still, every couple of years I, I do, I think I did one three years ago and it was called low pressure fitness. And it's not actually for pre and postnatal, but a lot of pre and postnatal women work with this and it's diaphragm training. I did it specifically to understand how to train the diaphragm, to train the core eccentrically rather than concentrically, which is basically like when we go to do a, a sit up, we're tensing the front of our body and that's a concentric contraction, like a bicep curl. But the way that we would then lengthen and control our body down, that's e the eccentric part. And that basically, um, totally lost myself no, uh, sorry sorry so <laughs> it's, it's like as you're learning this in these workshops for pre and postnatal yeah um like is there something that you're taking away from that that you can also apply to other clients that are not in pre or postnatal like are you able to grab yeah. something that is more universal yeah for sure like it, it teaches you about pelvic floor breathing stability spinal control uh, pelvis and rib cage relationship and these are all foundations that everyone needs to know and this is really the this is kind of the evolution of my training over the years where I would go from just doing a PT certification to kind of going to the fields of yoga and Pilates and that, that side, maybe more of the, the softer side. And then it was manual therapy mm -hmm. and then adding in all of these, especially when I went towards the manual therapy side, it was understanding what a someone who doesn't necessarily move the body, but influences the body and then how, how, we can work together and what skills I can take from them. So the the pre and postnatal stuff really when you start getting people to to work with their pelvic floor, it's very ini weird initially, mm. but it's um it then gives you a better sense of your base. It gives you a better sense of your feet. If you're doing any type of striking or martial arts, um, base and grounding is like fundamental. It's 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 you need to understand your your posture and your stability of your the position of your spine. You need, need to be able to control and support your limbs or your frame. And then if there's a force coming in or you want to produce a force, where's that coming from? And it's typically grounding something down or being able to produce from the ground up and move. And it's it's then taking all of those skills that I'm trying to develop myself as a somebody who trains in martial arts, but then working with fighters and then bringing like 
how does the pelvic floor or how does the rib cage relationship and through this movement influence positively the position of where their foot would land in relationship to where they want to be able to move their foot into a kick, like go the hip into these, a kick. But these fighters that are again, you're at Bangtown Muay Thai and MMA. I think we need a short form name for this. this yeah, year. just Bangtown. That's it. Bangtown. Yeah, that's kind of what we. Yeah, we're going. It's very general we're for people who don't know. Yeah, but yeah, Bangtown. Um, a lot of these fighters, especially uh, champions, are coming through this gym. Yeah. Now, there's so many options at Bang Tao in terms of classes you can take. Uh, you got jujitsu, kickboxing, Muay Thai, mobility, kettlebell, strength and conditioning, yoga. Mm. I'm going to assume without trying to offend you that mobility is probably lesser down the totem pole yeah. of what they're going to jump into. Yeah. They're going to do wrestling. They're going to do jujitsu. The super, I don't want to say the superstars, the ones that want to take it to the next level. Are they the ones that are actually pursuing the mobility? Because this is something I'm going to, again, guess that most people coming to train, they might only be there for a week. They're like, I don't even have time for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when we hit the superstars, they're, they're definitely looking for that 1% edge on anything. And that's, you, I, I, I'm, I, I love seeing and hearing everyone. And it's, I, I learn a lot where people are doing different types of breathing methods, I try and work a lot of breathing methods in my classes and I'm still learning from then seeing whichever fighter or whichever athlete coming off doing a free diving course, which motivates me to do it and bring that to the class. So then when you do get some of these top performing athletes, it's not necessarily a hard, they're, they're the ones coming to the class. Like they're, they're, then they're bringing kind of a fan club or whatever, because they're like, oh fuck, if this guy's doing it then maybe I should be doing it. And they're almost shadowing the day in the life of Fighter X. And you can see them. It's like, And then you see over the week or the two weeks of these guys that don't really know too much that are coming through. They're following that same format. They're having the same protein shake. On a Tuesday and a Thursday, they might be doing striking or they might be doing um, kickboxing and then they'll go to do their weights workout. And it's you see them follow the map. And it's good. And it's... It's definitely for like a mobility class. I'm super surprised of how full this class is. And it, it's, and maybe I've just underestimated everything because it's great when you can walk. Like today, I think I had 35, 40 people in. Mm -hmm. We're in low season. It's low season and there's 40, 30 something people in the class. Almost the same amount that people go to jujitsu. And I think it does help that I train. Like I train jujitsu, I train kickboxing. And the guys are grappling or fighting with me. And I think I'm not, I'm not actually that good, but for the sake of being able to move my feet a little faster, feel balanced, have a little bit more control, we have conversations after class and then that can, like, yeah, I'm teaching hip tomorrow or I'm teaching shoulder or oh, your, your knee hurts or your back hurts. Yeah, I'm running a spine class on a Wednesday. And it's kind of then I teach the class around the two or three people who are in the class that I've spoken to before and go, right, you need that, you need that, you need that. And let's do a class based around that. Do you, have you ever had athletes come in? Now you were over at you're working at Tiger Muay Thai before. Yes, yes. Um, also doing mobility. Yeah. When you're at Tiger Muay Thai doing mobility, ha, would you have a, a a UFC, let's say UFC or one athlete mm. come in that hasn't made it yet, mm. but you know, that this is a new athlete coming in, and then you're watching them kind of go from ground zero to stardom, and being able to spot that out. 
this guy, he might be 21, 22, let's say under 25. Yeah. They don't have their stardom yet. And they're pursuing something that most others would not visiting a tiger or a bang tao because again, why would I do mobility? I need to focus on my wrestling jujitsu. Mm. So the question, and it's, it's a bit long, but again, it's a podcast. We're just chatting. It's more about like, do you have a story of watching kind of an athlete that is almost unknown joining a mobility class and then you get to kind of see him rise through his stardom? I guess an example of one at Tiger, and, and I'll let you sit on that. Well, maybe like a Peter Young. He yeah. came in here in 2015, 16, probably when you got there. Yeah. I knew Peter before he grew because he fought a guy that worked at my friend's gym. His first, his first fight in the UFC. Yes. The only reason I would know who he is. Yeah. Because my friend's like, oh, this guy's at Tiger, Peter Young. He's fighting. I'm like, oh, cool. I'll pay attention. Next thing you know, he's champion. Mm -hmm. A guy like Peter Young would arrive the same time as you. Was he a guy to jump into your mobility class from the beginning? Not initially at the beginning, but I, I didn't just teach the mobility class then. I was still supporting with, because we would all cover each other's classes. I was still running the, the combat conditioning so that would be where all the fighters would come and train at 9.30 um, and or I'd be taking a strength conditioning class. So I'd see a lot of these guys and when I gave them exposure to a good warm-up, a, a very specific call down, they were then exposed to some of the stuff that I'm like, oh, I'll teach an hour of that. At 11, I think it was the same time actually, 11.30 this afternoon. So these guys were then getting some exposure from the classes and it'd be more of a, a, a slower feed into the class. But I ended up training Peter Young Jan needed some kind of like rehab and support there while, so I ended up training him and that was where I think he, and I, I can't necessarily speak for him in these words, but I, I think he was, I, and this is more of a, um, a general judgment for anyone, myself included, that you're going to receive and pay attention a lot more when you do work one-to-one -one with a coach versus being in a big class, doing something that you don't necessarily know or, and I think that's one of the biggest boundaries and hurdles, especially because my teach class, I talk a lot. So it's very technical, it's very instructional based. And I, I'm often translating halfway through the class between Russian and Chinese. But there's a lot of people who I can just see eyes in the headlight, just kind of, and that I think that's a big put off for people. Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, they're, they're not exposed to as much, especially in terms of mobility. Um, coming to these classes, it's brand new for most people, even for someone like myself. I was paying attention and watching you guys today and just listening more yeah. of, of what's going on. And also, I, I'm sure people watch and they're like, well, if I'm just doing that, is that really helping? And it's, I, I, I believe so because there must be more advantage to not, like if you're not doing it, it's gonna have major issues as well. Yeah. Um, speaking on the mobility side, what are some of the questions that people will come to you like joining a class? Like you have, you have normal questions that are being repeated over and over again? Why am we doing breath work? <laughs> I take about five to seven minutes in every class to teach, um, teach people to how to create intra-abdominal pressure. And I'll go into a bit more detail in a moment of what that is, but, um, it's 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 really hard to teach it's really hard to find it it's it's so it requires a lot of patience and time and i can see people trying to sit there and laterally expand in the rib cage and make pressure into their fingers and try to actually create this intra-abdominal pressure and may, they may have never actively thought about it before and then 
you often see the hands up or the comes in in the class and they've not actually said anything gone i have no idea what the was just doing can you tell me this thing which has then helped me to be able to reshape and remold my class so i then it helps it helps with the questions that i get where some of these trainings that i'm bringing from this methodology and this methodology i'm trying to bring in together and i i'm then trying to figure out how to bring these two whilst creating as much understanding with what i'm trying to deliver mm. so yeah the breathing is often the questions i get and then i try to then pre-teach it in my next class and explain that thing what what are the benefits of this type of breathing techniques that you are teaching what are the take-homes that someone can um, take away from that um most people that i work with have a contracted middle we'll call it so we'll call it your core and uh, i was touching a little bit earlier about the eccentric control this like lengthening control so if you think about when you contract a muscle you're bringing the bone towards the other bone you're, you're, you're kind of shortening space and if you learn to move your spine concentrically you're putting compressive force down through the spine you're creating this tension and stiffness as well which if you're going to contract and brace there's not going to be an allowance for much rotation and movement and if the only way you understand how to create control of your core is through stiffening or contracting then you've only trained kind of only bicep and, and no tricep so you've only flipped one side of the coin there and what i'm trying to do is introduce this <laughs> this eccentric control of the of the diaphragm and your kind of core supporting muscles which then creates this length to the muscle and the body learns to move through length not shortening and if that's happening then you're creating hopefully decompression movements or or not actually creating compression let's say when you go to rotate or move your spine so it it creates true spinal stability rather than spinal stiffness and it gives that person then a choice if they want to move their spine and rotate rather than when I try and move my leg, if my spine just moves for the sake of moving, then I don't have control of my leg. Because like, if I'm doing a hip exercise and I'm trying to only move my hip, but my lower back's involved, I have no, let's say, core control. I have no ability to control that. And I'm then trying to build the relationship between being able to stabilize in the middle without tensing, without stiffening, and then being able to move the hip or move the leg or move the arm without any um without any compensation at, w at which point does this just become part of your subconscious where you're not thinking I, like as you explain that to me i feel like i would have to be extremely focused on that coordination is there a certain point where it just becomes natural i give my homework and if it's interabdominal pressure which is mostly when i work with my clients i just say do it five times a day for a minute or if you remember it, five. You've got a post-it note on your screen. Oops. You've got a post-it note on your screen, and you look at it, and it brings you into that skill that I taught you and that way to find it. And if you can, then create a minute of five minutes a day. And it's I, my 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 analogy is kind of like if you're trying to learn. Well, I'm trying to learn Thai at the moment. I'm taking Thai lessons every day, and I'm still not learning Thai that well. But I'm definitely picking it up, and I'm I'm gonna understand more Thai doing Thai every day than if I only do it once a week. So it's kind of the frequency and the amount of time that you're then bringing the practice or the experience that you've learned in that one hour into then how does it influence your life? How does it 
how does how does this exercise that I did, whether it's a chest press, whether that's a squat, whether that's a lunge, how does that influence my life? And if your life is as a fighter or as an athlete, then those exercises need to be very, very specific. But if your life is kind of, I have a desk job or this is my, it's not necessarily a very specific type of role, then we should be doing movements that complement where we spend our time. And very often I find that we don't have control of certain things. And then I, I, I deal with a lot of people with back injuries, with knee injuries, with hip injuries, with shoulder injuries. And often when I restore or help them restore the, the kind of stability that they need and then the relationship of moving that joint with control without compensating anywhere else in the body, it, it, it can kind of clean up 60 to 80% of the issues that they're having. Mm. And that's all down to them doing the work but it must be difficult in a large class because like you said, one's a fighter, I'm a desk worker, maybe this lady is you know, a stay-at-home mom. We all have different positions throughout the day. So are you trying to create these classes a little bit more universal so that it can apply to everybody? Yeah, yeah. Is and that I, challenging? Yeah, but it's fun. It's challenging and fun. It's just, I look around the room like, what the fuck have I got to teach? Like what, what's going on today? And that kind of then gives me like, I see this person limping in, I see this person who's probably never been in the gym before. I see this, and, and by the time I kind of write on the board and look who's going on, look who's in there, and I'm then deciding how I teach and the language, that like the language I'm using to then be able to give them the fastest way of understanding. Like, for example, I'll show you how to do this. That's, like you can, if you sit to the edge, yeah, yeah. Are, we, are we okay doing this? Yeah, yeah, it's, we'll stay on the mic for yeah, we'll people on, on the, the audio. Yeah, so if, and this can be done in any position. We're seated, you can do it standing, you can do it on your knees, you can do it in like yeah. a tabletop position. And I, I do train to continue like that. So go like this, like fingers and thumbs. Go into the side of your waist, the soft bit. Yeah. And we'll do this away from the microphone, but cough. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> and you can kind of then feel some movement as you cough. Mm. Okay, and the other way then is laugh, go ha, ha, ha. Kind of move something around there. So then the next part is I want you to inhale and try to laterally expand. Try to push the muscles that you felt. And then exhale, relax, take a second. So when I saw you, you breathed up in your chest. Yeah. And I want you to breathe down in your yeah. belly or breathe, breathe to your balls. Breathe as yeah. low as you can. But try to feel that happening around your fingers and thumbs. So inhale where your hands are and relax your belly. And then exhale, try to keep the pressure. Exhale. Exhale. Inhale, try to expand and push your fingers and thumbs out. Yeah, that's it. Good, belly relaxed. Exhale, keep that pressure. Try to push, keep pushing, keep pushing. Push, 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 push. It's going to feel like you're going to try and poop. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Good. Yeah. <laughs> now keep that. And rather than I can see you're working, let's say you're doing a 7 out of 10. Make it a 2. Give me the same work, just yeah. down, downgrade it. Yeah. Feel better? You can almost talk. You look a little yeah, less intense there. Yeah. So okay, I get the the because I, I have a f I have my free diving oh, uh, certificate. I did I did the ADA level two. Mm. So you have. Where did you do that here? Uh, yeah, like 2016 in Kata. Nice. Um, you have to go down to 20 meter. 
something like that. I've seen yeah. that. I've saw an, an advert on Instagram, and it's between Bangkok and Kotel. It's cool. It's the, and it's the Ada level two as well. Yeah, I, there's a couple of them down there. Tony Michalaya was on the podcast okay. explaining. Um, I forget which one. There's another one other than Ada level two. I forget the name of it. But um, yeah, it's pretty. In, have you done free diving courses or? I did a surf apnea free diving course. It was specific for surfers when I was living in Mexico. And this guy came in and his apnea was based upon when you kind of went down and went under. You then had a breathing routine to get that. And then if you came up before one more wave, you would take one more breath and go down again. So it was a very specific free diving course, but he uses he used free diving um, methodology yeah. behind it. And he did, a, I think it was a three or four days. Super cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah. I, I, you do the, you get down to 20 meters and it's like, holy shit, that's deep enough. It's, yeah. But at least it teaches you so when you go out again that like you're really comfortable at like six meters. Yes. Which is honestly good enough. That really helped me actually. My confidence in the ocean after I did my freediving course or the, the surf at me one shot through the roof. Mm. And it just, and it regulates your nervous system. As obviously we know the physiological effects that it works in. But you definitely instantly get that payoff it's really nice yeah if, if at, were, were you surfing as well are you a surfer or just kind of learning not a good surf yeah but I, I i can sometimes get up okay and okay. stay there for a but bit. at least now you're comfortable you can read the waves you're comfortable in the ocean yes, yes that's a good skill to a good skill to have i had actually as the when was that uh, maybe two months ago or a month ago we were over at catch beach and mm. this lady was drowning oh, and no. i was like a bottle of champagne deep and about <laughs> 900 oysters and <laughs> Having brunch and everyone's just watching her drown. I'm not like, I, I I'm good. At, I'm strong in the ocean, so yeah. I'm just looking. I'm like, what's going on? And it was Bangtao, so it wasn't that strong. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. why is no one saving this girl? No one. So I just like stripped down, like literally having lunch, just stripped down to my underwear and just went in and just. Wow. I got there and like honestly, it was this deep and I like got to her. I'm like, can you just stand up? And she's like, <laughs> I think she was just so tired because. She got pulled out. She, mm. like, it was a Thai lady. She couldn't even stand. And I just kind of, like, grabbed her and carried her. And there was waves coming, but yeah. Bangtao's not as strong, not like Surin. Like, yeah. Surin, I've seen people drown there, um, barely survive, and, like, I won't even go in there to save you because it's so powerful. So powerful. That, like, the next thing you know, they're dragging you down. But yeah. Bangtao, it's okay. Do you surf? Yeah, yeah. I nice. haven't in about a year. Um, this year, I've messed up a couple toes. Okay. As we get older, things don't. That I don't know. That's a it's a, a rash from Laos. I don't know what happened. Yeah, you, you, what ever did you get, do in Laos? No, <laughs> you know, because sometimes the streets in Asia they're a bit dirty. Yeah. And yeah. I remember specifically something splashed on my foot. Okay. I've had it happen in Thailand. Just filthy streets. Yeah. That's what it is. So, mm. anyways, that's my. Anyways, I'll go away in a week. I think. Hopefully. But yeah, no, my toes. As you get older, you're. When you get injured, it yeah. takes forever to recover. We did toe mobility today. I was doing, I did a, a private with Brad. And I just, I keep, if every time I kick, when I kick badly with my foot, I end up feeling like I've broken my toe or dislocated it. So I came out of the training today and I took the hip, it was hip and leg mobility. So I ended up just, I'm going to mobilize our toes. And we spent 15 minutes moving our foot and our toes. And you should have come today. Yeah, I, I need to. Well, John Gibbons was on and he was telling me what to do, but nice. it's the same thing. It's like, you just have to do this for five minutes. Like, yeah, 
Yeah. I'll do you it. Just, that's it. You just don't do it's it. It's five minutes a day. Come on, one minute, five yeah. times a day. Yeah, they told me, like, I just had to basically, well, I'm not going to show my toe. It's too low on camera. He, he basically just, he, he actually, on the episode, I, he did two episodes. The second one, I just put my foot on the table, and he's just started playing with it. Nice. He's like, okay, I see the problem. He's like, yeah. He's like, you want this toe fixed fast? He's like, every night, just do this. I'm like, right. yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> and then you just don't. Um, let, jumping back to your first experience coming to Tiger Muay Thai, mm. explain that transition to actually working in Thailand. You said you came in 2016. What were you doing prior to that, and what landed you that job here? Um, the two the two years before, I was traveling with a client around. I I, I got a pretty good job where this guy was on this guy's team this entourage and we were traveling and just just training this one guy and he had two weeks and i managed to convince him to come to tiger muay thai to do some training and it was cool he was super open for the when we had suggestions basically like I, we went to maybe four or five different destinations where coaches that i'd learned with either online bought their shoulder rehab course and or training and I then decided to get him to fly us to him to go and see them and learn and coach with that person. We did the same. He wanted to do a bit of martial arts. It's like let's go to Tiger Muay Thai. So we came here for two weeks, and that's I think that was that was maybe the second time I met Woody, but it was definitely the the, the first time we had a full conversation, and we were chatting away. I ended up teaching. They do uh, they had guest coaches on a Saturday, so I then taught a guest class on the Saturday at Tiger, and. The system that I used was a system called Training for Warriors. And that's a system that Woody had trained in. I think before he was at Tiger, he actually had the Training for Warriors kind of franchise here in Thailand. So he was running that. And we then spoke a little bit more about training and certifications and study. And we had really similar kind of... Um, career paths and that sense. Career paths. And we, we respected the same coaches. There was a, a lot of alignment and that... So yeah, we I hung out. I think we were here for two or three weeks. I then knew my contract was coming to an end, I think six months or seven months after we were here in, in Thailand. Contract with this kind of a private? With my private client, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um, I think I reached out to Woody a couple of months later and said, hey, have you got a job or how does it work? He said he wasn't looking. And then we went back and forth for maybe six or seven months. And within a year later, he'd messaged saying there's a position. I then, within a month or two, flew out, had a chat, met, met the owner, shook some hands, and came and moved out three months later. That's 2016. I think it was 2016, yeah. Okay, and then now you were probably doing this right up to COVID, mm -hmm. and from there then you were telling me, did you, you went to Mexico during the, all of that? Yeah, so I, I, was in, I worked at Tiger for a couple of years. I then actually moved back to London for a year. And that first year was the transition of COVID. So that was 2000, I forget now. 20-ish. 20-ish, yeah. And then ended up spending one, I think it was one and a half years in London. I got quite badly injured in that time. And I was working my way through rehab. and, and what, what happened? I had a bit of a spinal injury. <laughs> yeah, that's um, how I got then turned on to John Gibbons' book. Spinal injury from exercising or? Yeah, it, it was... I, I always worry when I say this. I basically, I kind of got a neck injury in jujitsu, which, mm. which was a lot worse than I realized. And that's why I quit jujitsu. Yeah. I, well, it's kind of, I, we don't do neck training. 
I, ch I have a one day specific to train the spine and most of it's the neck. You think the spine is okay, this is my core, but this is also my core. And in, in fighting, we wanna move your head off of center alignment and, and break that line of defense from you. And if you're not able to stabilize, but like fight, you're just gonna cause friction rather than have that stability that I was talking about. And I didn't know about that directly myself. So that all the spinal training that I'd done was spinal stiffness. So I didn't have the laxity or the control to move. So then when we had this, it was kind of a freak. He was, I was in a guillotine, like in a chin strap, and we slipped. And he went one way, I went the other. My head and neck popped. I kind of was like that. Didn't really know what happened. And then over three months, my neck got worse and worse. I saw this physio, that Cairo. Um, actually ended up coming to Thailand for a two-week vacation in the middle of this. It was meant to do a bit of training, and within the second day of getting here, the problem was really, really bad. I kind of just ignored it, thinking, oh, let's do some isometric. I just did the old stuff that I thought was good. Was it a vertebrae, a disc? I, yeah, I, I fractured a little tiny bone on the, the C2, and there was a lot of ligament damage. And the, kind of how the force that happened, it was more of tissue damage. But I then had a herniation. This When they eventually got my whole spine MRI'd, I had C, C4, 5, 5, 6 herniations. C4 and 5 was uh, had a stenosis, which is kind of like a narrowing of the canal where the nerve comes through. I think it was T4, T7, T12, L4, L5, S1, all had prolapses and herniations. So the doctor thought you were like in a like a plane accident? or like Well, it was weird because they were like, oh, these are just really minor. They looked at it and were like, oh, these are just little minor herniations. And, but I'm looking at the shape of my spine. When you see this MRI, instead of, you kind of know what a spine looks like. When you look at it from the side, it's this S shape. Spine and rib cage. And when I had the MRI, my spine was completely flat. So and that's they 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 noted excessive loss of lordotic curve and cervical curve and no one really picked up on that straight away. It was like ah oh, they're minor. You can do some rehab stuff. You can and they I got this list of treatment but not rehabilitation and training and therapy. And London's just expensive as hell for therapy. And if you're not working because you can't and it. Luckily, I had a bit of savings and it ate through that very quickly. And within the timing, so the, the stuff, the interabdominal pressure work that we kind of touched on a little bit, that comes out of a university hospital in Prague. And I'd known about this from some of the training and seeing, seeing it from some of the fighters. Um, like Yuri was doing, Yuri does a lot of the interabdominal pressure. Yuri Prohaska. Yeah, based out of Czech. And he, his professor, his, sorry, his physio is the professor of the university that delivers this as a as a treatment. They do it privately also for their public health. And um, I ended up being able to afford to stay there. Luckily being through COVID, everyone went online. So I ended up getting five or six clients that hadn't actually been training from a different places around. I had somebody in India, I had someone in New York. I had these clients that you wouldn't normally train. I then ended up having money income coming in, being able to then afford to live and get I, I had like three or four physio sessions a day between, I did two hours of Tai Chi and Qigong every morning from four or five till six or seven. And then went to the first physio place. I then went to a manual therapy place. 
Um, I went to a, I went to a Feldenkrais practitioner, and I did this and a Borel, which these are all different types of therapy. And I did this type of work five, six days a week for mm. almost a year, and that got me pretty much back to the the, the 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 position I'm in. And that was a couple of years ago. And so you, now you're you're taking these you're you're joining these classes like it's an it's an on, it's online. No, no, I've gone moved to the Czech Republic. Ah, I'm okay. training my clients online gotcha. via Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it is. And um, I'm then going to see this physio, mm. this manual therapist, this fascial worker, this movement practitioner. All in Czech Republic. All in the Czech oh, Republic. Wow. Yeah, I found this amazing Kung Fu master and did Tai Chi and Qigong with him two hours a day, seven days a week for a whole year. I then went to see, I, with Yuri's same um, professor, Professor Kolash, I can never pronounce the Czech words properly, but um, he has a private clinic, so I went to pretty much his clinic, I think four or five days a week, had that type of treatment. I then had another type of treatment, and that was all in the Czech. And did, did you run into Yuri while you were there? No, I didn't. No. Everything was in lockdown. Yeah, I guess so. I, yeah. yeah, there was no gyms open, physio was weird, and like, yeah, you couldn't really use public transport. So you, you got all fixed up. And at this point, did you end up going to Mexico or coming back to Thailand? I went to Mexico. So how, how COVID was still... How did you make that decision, though? Why Mexico? Was that because, like, the Tulum, it was more open? A lot of people were going there? I wasn't on that side. I went to the Pacific coast. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, I went to the other side. Um, Mexico was open. Yeah. You know, Europe sucked. <laughs> it was two two years or whatever it was, a year in London, a um, year in the Czech. And it was... It was Kind of winter. I kind of w arrived at winter and left at winter. It felt like, and uh, it was the first time I'd been in minus. I think it was minus twenty-seven or minus twenty-eight. I'd never been in a, that cold of an environment, <clears throat> and um, it was cold. So, did some research, and Mexico was open. They were offering good visas and good business options, and so it was kind of let's go to Mexico and figure it out. Spent four or five months in Mexico City. Love Mexico City. It's a really cool place. Really cool. And then um, moved from Mexico City, got a car, and pretty much drove along the coast and went down to a little surf town called um, Puerto Escondido. And it's in the Oaxaca City. Oh, uh, sorry, the Oaxaca State. Um, beautiful area. Really nice. It's on the ocean, but it's got the mountains, so you, within four hours you can be above the clouds. And at this, you're still working online, so you're able to keep things rolling. Yeah. And you're doing a little bit, and you're doing work in Mexico as well. And then I start seeing some clients. Um, I start doing a bit of jujitsu there, just getting strong enough to doing a couple of classes. Um, and then I kind of open a little PT gym studio, doing a bit of the stuff that I'd learned. That, that had got me back on my feet and was started to integrate a lot of that work there um, to figure out how you would take this really important stuff that got me walking and running and being strong again that I didn't fucking know about <laughs> and train and understand that should have been the foundation of my movement and my strength practice. Mm. And so I did that in Mexico for about a, it was all in all, I think about a year and a half. And then in that time, Woody had messaged me, I think he messaged me once and he was open in the gym and I just, I think I just got, the, I was just building the, not building the gym, but I just got the space for the gym and getting it all sorted and I was like, no man, I was like, this is great and really excited because it was kind of, 
not I don't necessarily what the boys wanted to do, but it was it just what sh- it Bangtel is what should have happened. Mm. Like it was only the next right thing to have happened to get like Alex George, Frank Woody, and kind of everyone else, like everyone else that extended team to to come together and and be there. It's, it's so Woody asked me once. Then we asked me a second time, and the second, the first time, I was already thinking about it. But I'm like, "Fuck! I've just got here. I've just got everything sorted." It was a year in. It was already a pain. That first year was not hard, but it was it like moving anywhere. It's a pain in the ass. So I'm like, "I've just gotten through this first hurdle, uh, hurdle on burden." And um, it's like, "No." And then he asked me a second time, and I kind of then was like, "Fuck! Is he going to ask me a third time?" Because I was then all right. Like if he asked me a, a yes, and within that time of me probably about to message him saying hey what's going on he'd already messaged saying right now this is where we are you actually coming over it's like yes so then that was in probably not long ago like no, eight months ago something like that i arrived i arrived in november and yeah. it was like a three to four month maybe five month actually transition out so whatever Math. Car- is what was that conversation like? Was there like a bit of a push, a bit of a sales pitch? Like, hey man, you're the mobility king. We're gonna need you. Like, what was going on there? He was just like, get your fucking ass over here. I think he yeah. knew. Like, and it's kind of it's why the gym's doing so well. It's why everyone loves going there. It, 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 I he knew that I knew that that's where I wanted to be, and that's where everyone wants to kind of be, even if they don't know. They kind of, it, it, it's such a beautiful place, man. I was sitting there yesterday talking to some people. And again, I had almost the same conversation with another set of people. Just everyone says how much they love it there. Everyone's smiling, everyone's friendly. And I'm so fortunate to be able to go to work where people fly from around the world. They, they, they take their two week vacation or they save up money for three months or a month. And they just want to improve themselves. They want to get better. And I get to go to work to that. So everyone's coming in with a smile on the face. Even the people who have fucking trained so hard and they're tired and they've got beat up and they may have lost two fights, but they're still there. Like they're in there. They're working hard. And I, I, I can't complain about fucking anything, really. What's the location as well? What, oh. what if the same conversation oh. happened, but it was back to Chalong? Would your decision been different? That would have been a sell, I think. That would, I, I, I left Tiger Street. And it's, I, I say it more of like a... Um, I have really good memories of going as a tourist for a couple of years to Tiger, then working there for a couple of years. And I left when it's hard because I don't want to say anything. I, I, I no, my no. heart's still in, in, in there, but I, I left when it, it just it, it it changed a lot. Like Tiger. Tiger and the soy. Mm. It was a there was a real big the, the passion and the enthusiasm that I had for when I was wanting to go there was obviously still there. I was still very, like, had that. It just, all of these buildings started coming up. There was a load more gyms coming onto the street. It stopped becoming this fight street and more of a fitness street. And that culture just brought a very different dynamic into the from before, kind of what we're seeing at the gym here, everyone's smiling, everyone's going, hey, and then you would walk down the street and recognize everyone. And then very quickly, within a year or so, it was, 
more frowns. More, and that's, that was maybe my perception. But that was a perception that I'd had from like what, what five or six years of experience going there and feeling. This is for, from more like bodybuilding gyms appearing? Or? Maybe bodybuilding gyms. Just, just I felt there was a very big shift in change from having all of these fighters and backpackers on a street that was half a dirt road that felt like you were in a jungle to then being... And it's a cool street. I, it's so weird because it's still a cool street. Fuck, man, you can walk down and you can go to this protein place, that protein place. You can pick a salad, pick a meal. And I've never really experienced a street like that either. But it wasn't the the greater environment that I'd experienced over the years, that I, I, the environment that I wanted to be in. So... Plus, it was like 20 minutes to the beach, you know, and it was like a mission to the beach, yeah. whereas I can finish here and within three minutes be at the ocean watching the sunset, just finishing work. Would it's you ever move back to Chalong after living up here? No, no. Yeah, I know the Chalong no. people and Rewai people don't like this podcast because. Yeah, I don't, like come up and visit, guys. Like yeah. it's cool up here. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people have the misperception uh, of up here. They're like, oh, you know, it's rich and it's expensive. There is there is. Um, well, I guess you can explain on, on your side, like in terms of accommodation up here, like you can find places just as cheap as you would in Chalong or, or Rawai, maybe a bit different, but I mean, it's yeah. pretty comparable. I think so. Like, I think in directly in Bangtown, no, I definitely think there's a, a, a price range that, that, that is definitely higher than what you would find in. Unless Rewai you want to, unless you want like a guest guest room for sure i think like, guest room prices are guest room you can prices. get like i have a friend living here a good friend and he his place he lives here his place is three thousand bottom yeah month. i know someone on three four thousand but it's like um maybe the size of this studio yeah. and like a window to the back that you know it, they it's can get that now though high season it was hard i arrived even at for the those ones yeah i arrived oh, in I high season and i luckily pete my coach at bangtel he uh he was lucky enough to sort of put me up for a little while until I end, I I, move, I live in Bangzhou, so I'm about 10, 15 yeah, minutes yeah, no. away. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, uh, I couldn't find a hook. Cause I, it's my thing. I came to Thailand. I didn't want to live in a flat. Didn't want to live in an apartment, but definitely there are things available now, but even in high season in November, December, I couldn't find a, so you have like a house now, kind of. I have a house in, oh, okay. in Bangtao, yeah. Up in, up uh, in, in Bangjo, in, in sorry, in Bangjo, yeah. Yeah, and so that's kind of I, I I used to live up there as nice. well. It's a nice area. It's a cool area. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good location, especially in the high season because you're outside of the traffic. Yes. Except yes. if you have to go work there. Uh, well, but if I, you're on I'm the a, motorbike, I'm on the motorbike, yeah. but I I do Thai lessons every day at seven a.m. So I'm way before the traffic. And yeah, I saw I saw that. I, I, I feel you're one of these, I, I'm going to assume, you're one of these guys, your schedule is probably quite tight. Meaning like, I wouldn't be surprised if you kind of have like uh, every 30 minute is planned out for the day type of schedule. To, yeah. an, to an ex a certain extent. I, 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 I was talking this about the masculine and feminine and like, I, I like being the least amount of schedule and that's where I want to be, but I kind of have to operate a day around a schedule. So I give myself the way, especially for work. I've, I've got classes that I want to attend. I've got clients that I need to see. I've got classes that I need to teach. And then I've got a bit of my training in the middle of that, even if it's not a class that I've attended there. And then if I can get really, if I can do that really well, it gives me a big window to have a bit more expression and freedom. Um, how, how do you plan out your, your, 
your day because uh, I was talking to Woody, especially people working at, uh, at gyms and whatnot. Mm. It's almost similar to working in a hotel. You start very early and you get these windows throughout the day, but your whole day can be tied up to work. Yeah. Like even if you have to work online later yeah. uh, in the day, you might have an online class at 8 p.m. Yeah. Um, so how do you structure your day or what is what is your typical day if you walk us through it? Um, most of the time I do Thai lessons at 7 and then at 8 o'clock Monday, Wednesday, Friday I do kickboxing. Tuesday and Thursday I do either wrestling private or kickboxing private. So my kind of 8 a.m. slot's done every morning. And then if it's a new client, I'll see a new client at 9.30 to kind of the 11, 11 time there. And then from 11.30 to 12.30 is my class. I then do Pete's kettlebell class Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday Wednesday, Thursday, 12.45 to 1.45. Um, Tuesday and Thursday, I train myself in that, that same hour. And then around... The sort of is it one thirty? Where am I? Whatever that next half an hour is after a shower, I then have clients, maybe two hours after that, and then try and get to sunset for six o'clock, six to six forty-five. That 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 sort of hour window, and then I'll have a couple of online clients somewhere in the daytime, like in that that later afternoon slot, or I'll have a couple of online clients um, between seven and nine ish, a few times a week. And then are you getting to bed quick, quite quickly after that? Yeah, I'll, I'll eat and then I try and shut my phone off around an hour before I sleep. And most, most of the time, it's about nine, between nine and 11, I'm sleeping. Yeah. So like, if I'm lucky enough to get to bed by eight-ish, I might listen to a podcast or listen to a talk. And that will kind of take me through to sleeping by nine-ish. Um, and then follow those hours on, and then up at four thirty-five, and ready to go again. Ready to go again. I do a morning practice. I do some breathing. I do some personal rehab stuff, and then tie at seven in the morning again. That's five, six days a week. Do you have any mental junk food for yourself? Because I mean, even someone like uh, my schedule is very—it's quite similar. But there's days like I always try to double everything up. Meaning, if I'm going to lift at the gym. I'm going to put an audio book on 100% yeah. because I get two things done. And to be honest, I don't have time to read. Mm -hmm. And if I try to read a book at nine o'clock, I'll read half a page and pass out. I, get, yeah. I can't. And it's too late. I can't absorb anything. Um, but then there's times at the gym where I'm about to work out and I'm like, I don't want to hear music. I, hopefully no one talks to me. Yeah. And I don't want to listen to an audio book. Mm. Um, all, sometimes too much information. The mind needs to just like. Yeah. like I'll, okay i'll work out but i don't want anything mm. um and then other times maybe it could be it's the office or some stupid show it's like i just also want you know junk television yeah. for 30 minutes because you can't constantly constantly be learning as well the you, the brain burns out i find yeah how do you relate to that at all do you need a time where you just everything needs to shut off i th i think i get it through my training like i'm kind of lucky that i get like I, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu a couple of days. I forgot that as well. Like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If I'm not seeing my nine o'clock client, I'll do Jiu-Jitsu at 10. And I've been doing Jiu-Jitsu quite a long time. And I get into that flow state or free roll. And I can get to that place where I switch off. I, as long as I get some really good 
people who want to also just enjoy the training, not fight and try and break necks. I, I can, you can get like 30 minutes of this completely disconnection of you've ended up maneuvering yourself through not dying for 30 minutes, but you haven't thought of anything. You haven't, everything's kind of just emptied. It's flow jujitsu. It's flow jujitsu. Yeah. yeah. So kind of like surfing. You're very in the moment. Yeah. You, you, you have to be present in that time and it's almost me very meditative. Yeah. Yeah. And I do a practice every morning. Um, there's a thing called awareness through movement. It's a, it's a method from a guy called Moshe Feldenkrais. And he, um, it's pretty much what it says on the label. You're, you're doing a movement and you're trying yeah. to bring awareness to the, Oh, I think the camera needs to switch back. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this, uh, it's called awareness through movement and it's this, it's this practice where you, you kind of listen to someone talk you through, pay attention to your foot, pay attention to your hip, pay attention to this. And then you move and then you bring your attention back. Mm. And it's, it's weird because you become so narrow focused that it brings you really inside your body very quickly. And then once you do that practice for a while, or you even do the same one a few times, it then gets you into this automatic disconnected mode. Mm -hmm. I, um, it's just, it's hard to, I feel guilty when I watch a movie. I feel guilty when I take a day off. And and I don't know what that guilt's from because we I, I agree if I if I don't manage myself well, very quickly within a week, especially training that at that intensity, I can get burnout. I can get like fucked up, and it's then it's just I don't want to pay attention to anything for a couple of weeks. And that's that's then the rejection of that. So I try to pay attention and manage myself. Without overloading. Without well, overloading, like, you know, yeah. And yeah. then you can do that through food and you can do it through fasting and cycling and if you pay attention to the moon and it's a full moon yesterday and go, okay, every full moon I'm going to fast for a day or every, you know, just... Then it becomes this, I can eat a bit of junk food. I know that I'm going to balance it this way and as long as I don't... Like, I can't try and kind of follow like an 80-20 rule. As long as my 20 doesn't... As long as it doesn't become as in inverse and become more of 2080, as soon as those bad habits start creeping in, I know something in my lifestyle has fucked up a little bit. Mm. And I've definitely taken more time over the years to pay attention to that. It's really, uh, we were talking about it at the beginning. You take a two, three day trip and you're like, Yeah, at a whack. Yeah. And then it's and mentally just to go, even if you went to the gym seven days a week. You take three days off. It's hard yeah. to go, you know, take that first step. However, if you're doing it every day nonstop, it's hard not to stop. Mm. Unless something breaks the pattern, then it's hard to get back into it. Yeah. Because uh, you're just like, oh, I guess I'll go. And it's not easy. Living in Phuket, um, on your side, do you avoid the party, the nightlife, the, the drinking? Was that there when you first moved here? Have you kind of in your life always kind of pushed that aside? I did that a lot when I was young. A lot. <laughs> um, so I don't know, maybe when I was like, I still, I still, I haven't had a bender in a while, but I just don't, I don't feel the need to drink. I don't feel the need, like I don't enjoy, if I stay out super late, I'm an old man, bro. It's like, yeah. if I go out, if I stay out super late, it fucks me up for a couple of days. I don't enjoy it. It breaks my life. So even if it's on, if I go on a Friday night, I'm tired Saturday. I'm trying to manage that Saturday and Sunday. And I'm my Saturdays and Sundays are valuable. I want to go rock climbing. I want to take go for a ride somewhere. I want to go and do something where, like, if I'm too tired because I went out a little too late on a Friday night, it's just it's not. It, 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 
it's it's a it's wasted time. Saturday becomes a write off, and yeah, and then obviously if you try and do that on a Saturday night, it's Monday coming into Monday morning, and you're feeling tired. So, I um, I'll go out and enjoy myself when there's a reason to. But I yeah, I, I the last time I went to Patong was for Woody's fight, I think, and then I was straight back, straight yeah. back as soon as it got dark in Patong. I'm like, I need to leave. There's monsters coming out of the drains here. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely Vuitton. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's hard. Uh, you know, sometimes you need that that even digital detox as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's there's 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 a lot of distractions in Phuket that can suck you in. Definitely. I, I think Bengtel's a, a bit safer up here. We, there's not that much to do, but maybe people living in Patong, it's a different story. What what do you get up to? And before we're gonna we've probably been going way over an hour. I this never works. I try to keep it under 45, but <laughs> I, I always try to make sure I don't feel some, leave something hanging at the end, but we're, we'll about wrap it up in a minute. Um, for people that are, you know, now you're, you're more of a veteran living here a while in Thailand, um, what do your weekends look like? You're saying rock climbing, motorbiking around, for example, like, do you have plans on Saturday? Like, what would you get up to typically? Um, I try and book some trips in the head. So it's like bang, Bangkok in a couple of weeks. Because it's cheap if you book a few months in advance, even if there's no reason to go, you've got a trip to go somewhere. As in terms of like the flight and hotel costs? Like in the hotel, yeah. You can get a flight for like 25, 30 bucks. But if you book it the week before, it's like 125 bucks. So if you just end up booking some things in advance, you can then enjoy taking some trips. And it's nice to get out of the, off the island to go to a big city. I was born in a city. I do enjoy a bit of hustle and bustle, but one or two nights is enough for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Krabby's three hours away. I, I, I do love Phuket, but the rest of Thailand's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. And we're so fortunate to have this on our doorstep. You can be off island in 40 minutes. And whether you go north or you kind of follow it round and go towards Krabby, and you can stop anywhere. H- have and you been up beautiful. to Kalak? I've been up to Kalak, yes. Kalak, have great. you been to Memories Beach? I went, yeah, I've been to Memories Beach. The surf, the old surf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. super cool. And I went to, there's three islands. When you see from Memories Beach, there's three islands on the other side. They're beautiful islands. Like, you can see them from Memories. You can see them there, if you were there, they're towards the right. Really? Yeah, yeah, I'll show you, I'll show you nice. Beautiful islands. How do you get out to them? Long tail? If you go another hour and a half past Kaolak. Okay, you're talking Surin, the Surin Islands. I think it's the Surin. Is it yeah. the Surins? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You have to drive about an hour north, and yeah, the diving there is spectacular. I didn't go diving. Well, I'm, I'm not. I mean, free diving. There. Free. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, but the water is just beautiful there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the Surin Islands. I've been up there. It's about an hour and a half past Kalak, um, and then you take a speedboat. Kora. Kora. Oh, let's see. Let's take a look. Oh, this is. Oh, this is that part. Okay. Yeah. People will go motorbiking there. I'm not yeah. even sure. How do you get to those? There's a little ferry. If so, past Kaolak, I think it's like an hour and a half north. There's a little okay. random pier that you went. I just called. I always call the hotels. I zoom into the maps. Yeah. I pick a hotel and I call them and say, "How do I get there?" Oh, I see the ferry there. Yeah, there, and then they tell you which ferry to go to, and and then what's it like out there? There's like two hotels on that island. And in, in terms, like uh, at night. Time. I mean, it's just you're on the beach chilling. They, the, the food's they turn, okay. Food's food's always okay here. Yeah. You know, it's it's great. It's um, it's always like a local home cooked kind of Thai meal. And um, 
these a lot of these places will only have power for two hours, so they, they you get Wi-Fi and electricity and not even a warm you don't need a warm shower, but you get two hours of electricity a day, and then the rest of it's just hanging out on an island. It's like an eco-friendly. And and what's the ocean like? It's not. Is it low uh, low tide or? They've got like low that? tide. They're right in front of where I was staying, there's a, this tiny island, which had a really interesting kind of tide tidal range. But yeah, it's low tide, and you could on low tide walk out to the or almost walk out to the island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of that whole Kowlak area. Have, have you been to the Lampi waterfall? I don't think so. I've been to a couple. I don't remember. So I mean, one right off the island here. This one's. It's quite. Oh no, I don't think so. No. Yeah, it's called Lampi. After I'll show Check you, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, this one. It's because the ones in Phuket, they're nothing special, yeah. Like to you know, Bang Pai or whatever. But this one, Lampi, it's it's really nice. You can swim in it, and you can kind of jump off the rock. Nice. But the water pool area is uh, it's quite big, so it's busy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna wrap it up because it's probably how long has this been? An hour and twenty. Hour. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. I try to keep it short. It never works. Yeah. It's hard. I to be honest, it's hard to. Like I want to keep them under, f I want to keep them 38 minutes Okay. and like I can see it. And then I'm just like, I have so many more things to talk about or questions. Yeah. And I just feel it's, it's leaving it hanging. So whatever, screw you, YouTube, they're going to be longer and you're going to deal with it. <laughs> That's good. Uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, right before we wrap it up, I'm going to kick it to your camera over there. Uh, if you can kind of just um, look right into that big camera and just let everyone know uh, we'll put links in the description if they want to reach out to you for any like uh, training and whatnot. Um, uh, how can they find you? What's the best way to connect? Yeah, probably on Instagram. It's I train for it. Um, add me and send me a message down in Bangtown most days. And yeah, come down and train. Awesome. Okay. So we'll put um, Anwar's Instagram in the description. And again, if you're Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA and you want to join the mobility class or get a private as well, you can reach out to him. Um, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Fruiting Body Podcast. So thanks a lot for watching and we are out. Yeah.